Well, we've been um, on a journey these last several weeks, and we've been talking about a very special word, and that word is values. And we've been noting that values are, are something that we really need uh, to pay particular attention to. And as we began this series a couple of weeks ago, I threw out a definition for us, and that's the definition that we've been operating by throughout this whole series. And that definition is of the word values itself. And we defined it as a person's principles or standards of behavior, one's judgment about what's important in life. And I've been sharing with you that, that what you value says who you are and, and what specifically the source of those values that you adopt says a lot about what you worship and how you choose to live life. So we've been talking about the importance of values and more specifically, not just for each of us individually, but for us as a church. And I shared with you that, um, you know, several churches, you know, 10,000 churches a year close their doors because people are leaving churches. And they're saying we're leaving churches because we don't know what the church stands for anymore. And therefore, if the church can't define its values, folks are saying, then why should we be a part of something that just doesn't know who it is? So we've been pointing out the critical nature of what it means to be a church of values. I shared with you that uh, we have a vision team of 15 individuals that's made up of, of persons in our congregation, five of which who have um, you know, many decades of experience in the life of this church. We have five individuals that, that, that bring knowledge and, and connections to families and children, and, and as well as um, the generation that is yet to come. <clears throat> and we also have uh, five staff persons who, who are the ones who are in the trenches every day in dealing in terms of ministry. And, and we've been talking about the importance how the Holy Spirit leads us in defining what those vision points are. So we began by saying that our first value that we ascribe as a people is that we love God and we love others. And we talked about we love because we are loved. And I shared with you that, that to love somebody is not your choice. It's not my choice. It's the fact that God first loved us. And therefore, because of God's love in our lives, we have no control then. We are called to love in the midst of disagreements or arguments or, or uh, different positions on things. And it means that Republicans and Democrats can actually find some common ground. Okay? Somebody say an amen to that. Amen. amen. Okay. So we talked about the importance, and we said that, that Jesus said, a new command I give you, you are to love others as I have chosen to love you. We said our second value as a church was very clear, that we strive to be authentic. And I shared with you about how so often uh, our pursuit of authenticity is challenged because if we're really left to, to run life the way that we want, then we're going to move in the direction of self-promotion. We're not going to have God as the component because we're going to find a way to kind of ebb and flow away from that because the temptations of the flesh are just too great. And that without Christ, we're always going to make the wrong decision. So we talked about how we live out what Jesus taught us. And I shared with you that our values of how to live life aren't the things that we ascribe to. It's not the lure of, of money. It's not the lure of, of relationships. It's not the lure of power. But I said that all of us have been given a, a gift by God. And the Apostle Paul pointed that out. And he said, within us is the fruit of the Spirit. 
And on our own, we're going to be envious. On our own, we're going to be gossipers. On our own, we're going to hurt people. On our own, we're going to disenfranchise. But when we realize that the fruit of the Spirit lives in us, and when we embrace that value that comes from Jesus, we become loving, we become kind, we become compassionate. We become uh, searching after the heart of God. And I shared that, that when we discover that that fruit is in us, we can strive to live life authentically. Week three, we talked about the giving nature of God and said that, that we believe that generosity is the heart of God. And we said that we get to give. Now, I know when people hear the word give and they hear the word church and they combine those, they're like, oh my gosh, it's another sermon on the amount. We, we described that it wasn't, okay? Right, you liked that, didn't you? <laughs> That's good. All right. Don't you just love Robert's joyful spirit? Amen. Amen. So, so we talked about how, you know, we go back to that, that scripture that, that many of us learn when we're coming into the faith, whether we're children or adults, we're taught that God so loved the world that he what? He gave. He gave, and in that case, his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall never die, but have eternal life. And we talked about how generosity comes from God, and that God leads the way in generosity, and that generosity isn't just about money in a plate or money to afford a project, that it's about giving of our time, it's about freeing up, it's about being servants of Christ in the church for the kingdom's purpose throughout the world. And we said that we get to give. And that to have that heart, that when we give, we, we understand the joy that comes through Jesus Christ. Last week, we talked about our fourth value. And our fourth value said that, that we're better together. We're better together and that you belong here. And I shared with you that, that togetherness and belongingness are two values that are so important for us, that we want to be together and we want to belong to something and that those values uh, to love and to be loved are those innate values that, that live within us. And we said that it creates a community. It creates a fellowship. It creates a powerful love that draws us into the bosom of Jesus Christ. And it's something that we share together. And that when we're together, we create family. And when family is created, nobody's alone. That everyone is together in that particular role. You know, talking about family, I, I think it's important that we just kind of get this out there, you know. Um, I think family is something that, that, we, that we strive for. I think family is something that, that we yearn for, that we love. But, but wouldn't you agree with me that sometimes our, our families don't really bring us the joy that we had hoped? That some of us have dysfunctional families. Uh, some of us have company that comes. And my father-in-law, his greatest saying was always, you know, family's kind of like fish. After three or four days... Time to go. Um, but so, so sometimes we understand. But, but, you know, when we talk about God's family, that whole dynamic shifts, doesn't it? Because the family of God, as the scriptures tell us, is what we are to focus on in its great peace. Why is it that we're attracted to families? Two and eight needs. Let's go back to them again. I just said it a second ago. To, we want to love and we want to be loved. We want to love someone else. And we want to know that we are loved, not by someone else, but also by something greater than that. Robert led us off today about talking about the presence of the Holy Spirit. 
And that presence guarantees for us that no matter where we go, no matter where we are, no matter what stage of life we might be in, whether we know Jesus or we don't yet know Jesus, that the Holy Spirit is present. And that same Spirit draws us in to what it is to have a life of family. So I want to create an image this morning, and I want to create an image of God as our Heavenly Father. And listen, I know that, that for some people here today and some that will be looking at this message months from now on our, our message archive, I know that sometimes we begin to say, but I didn't have a good father or I didn't have a good home. And I want to look beyond that. I want to look at what God's role is. Because listen, I'm a dad. I let my kids down. I'm a grandfather. I know I let them down. Um, I'm not perfect, um, but I know that God is. And, and I want us to talk a little bit about that. So, so one thing that we want is, is to learn about our Heavenly Father is one who watches over us, one who, who waits for us, one who is expecting um, us to be with him uh, in, in through, through life. Uh, the Apostle Paul writes this in his, church, uh, in his letter to the church of Ephesus. Paul is defining as he's calling us to be a part of a family. Paul says, God's unchanging plan has always been to adopt us into his own family. So God's purpose is to adopt us into his family. When you adopt somebody, you are promising something. You are saying that I am going to be everything for you. I am going to love you. I'm going to care for you. When no one else does, I'm there for you. So it says to adopt us by bringing us um, to himself through Jesus Christ and this great, this gave God great what? Pleasure. What is it that puts a joy on our Heavenly Father's face? What is it that, that, that sends the rippling effect of, of God's resounding joy is to know that God has adopted us and that we are no longer orphans, but we are part of a family. Do you remember back in school when, um, in, back in my day, we would, we would line kids up and then we would select two captains, like for kickball or something like that. And, and you'd pick teams. Do you remember that? You'd pick a team. <clears throat> and we would alternate, okay? You know, Billy here gets to pick first, and then we alternate back and forth. And do you remember how it went? All the great athletes were the first ones that were picked. Now, I won't tell you whether I was in that category or not. <laughs> Might surprise you. But, but, but I always, you know, looking back, what, what got me was the kids that were left over at the end right? You know, the kids that were like forgotten, the kids that maybe um, thought, well, they can't help me with kickball, but boy, they could solve my math problems, okay? So, the, they, so there were some that were left over. And can you imagine if you were one of those kids that got picked over, you remember what it was like to go like, no one wants me. No one, no one wants me to be a part of their team. And I'm here to tell you this morning that God wants you a part of his team. God has chosen you to be a part of his team, and, and you have a home, and that you are not a leftover, that you are someone that God has placed on that. You know, we just left football season, so you are a first-round draft pick for the kingdom of God, and God has drafted you into his family. He wants you to be a part of that, and, and you can be assured that, that God will never forget you. So if you're here this morning and you're saying, you know, Pastor, you're talking about um, family and fathers and those things, and, and gosh, you know, mine left me or whatever, your Heavenly Father will not. He will not leave you. He will not abandon you. He will not forget you. God is in it all in all for you. 
So here on earth, you know, we, we, we fathers, we do the best that we can. And as I shared a little bit earlier, you know, we're, we're human. We, we, we miss the mark. We're not always where we need to be and provide what we do. But, but God, on the other hand, God doesn't mess up. God never misses the mark. In fact, God is perfect in everything that he does. And that's why we claim God as the head of the church family. It's not a pastor. It's not a favorite pastor. It's not a TV pastor. It's not an evangelist. It's not that God is the head of the church family. And God is the one who gives life to that. God doesn't make mistakes. He's perfect in everything. And God is a perfect father to you and me. Listen to me. God is a perfect father to you and me. And he's perfect in all those ways. First, what does that mean? It means that he's a passionate father. And, and God is that. And, and he's equally a passionate for all of his other kids. So it's not like God is just passionate to you and he forgets other people, but God is passionate to all of his kids. The prophet Isaiah writes this. He says that, do not be afraid for I have ransomed you. Uh, Isaiah is prophesying. He is proclaiming the word of God. That's what prophecy means to be a proclaimer. And he's proclaiming the words of God that God says that I've ransomed you. I've called you by name and you are mine. You are mine. So when God calls you by name, it, it's not like a salesman. Um, how many of you get calls on your cell phones or your home phones from people you don't know, but they want to call you by your name? You know, I always know when it's, when it's trouble, when I answer the phone, Robert, how are you today? Who's Robert? I work with a Robert. And I'm not Robert. And people that know me know me as Bob. And so I already know that they don't even know who I am, but yet they're trying to be family. And they're trying to pitch me with something that they want to sell me. And I don't know about you, but that, that's one of the things in life that does irritate me. Is someone who acts like they know me and trying to persuade me to do something for them when they don't know me at all. And that's just one of my things. I'll just throw that out there. Uh, God, on the other hand, God knows you. God knows everything that there is about you. In fact, the scriptures say that God knows the number of hairs on your head. And like me, as you get a little bit more, uh, as you get more and more uh, cake or candles on your birthday cake, just because your hairs become a little bit less, doesn't mean that God knows you less. It just means he's got a wider view, okay? <laughs> and, and, and God loves you and knows everything that there is about you. So when you think about it, that's really important. So, so there, was a, there was a time um, years ago, two young people went to their pastor and they said, you know, it's Christmas time, Pastor. We want to we wanna do something that's really good, really important for someone in our church. And the pastor says, I've got the right thing for you to do. He says, we have a person in our church family who has lost their sight. They're blind. They can't read the scriptures like you and I by looking at a book anymore. So why don't you go to their house and why don't you sit down with them? I'll make the arrangements. You go and you, why don't you read the Bible to them? And they're like, great, let's do that. So the pastor made the arrangements. These two boys, they, they went over to, to this gentleman's house, and they sat there, and they asked him, what would you like for us to read? He says, well, it's Christmas time, and my favorite part about Christmas is in Matthew chapter 1. Now, many of us, we wouldn't say it's Matthew 1. We'd say it's Luke chapter 2, because Luke 2 is, is the Christmas story. But for some reason, this man said it's Matthew chapter 1. And so these boys were like, okay. So they start reading, and, and what you find in Matthew chapter 1 is a genealogy. 
It's kind of like Ancestor.com, you know. And you get to find out all of the genealogy that leads to Christ, to God and everything. So it says, you know, there's Abraham. And Abraham uh, had a son named Isaac. And Isaac had a son named Jacob. And then it goes on through this whole lineage and all. And then the boys, like so many of us, they get to a name and they can't read it. And they're just like you and me. Well, let me just skip over that one and go down. And the man's like, wait a minute. No, 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 no. I want you to read every name. <clears throat> Even if you can't pronounce it, I want you to read it. Don't skip over it because that person is important to God. And it's so important to God that God wanted their name in what? His book. God wants you in his book. You are in his book. And God wants to remind you of the fact that God is aware of you and that God knows that you are a part of his kingdom's plan. So God is a good father, is not just passionate and encouraging, he's also patient. He's also forgiving. You know, one of the great things that we come to know about God is, is that God is patient. God is forgiving. That God offers redemption. God offers restoration. God offers forgiveness of sin. In fact, God is so serious about that. God says if we just confess our sins, he will cast them as far as the east is from the west and he'll remember them no more. How many of us do that? How many of us forgive in that way that we cast it as far as the east is from the west, whatever it was that that person did to us, that we remember it no more? We don't do that, do we? We kind of hold those grudges. We kind of want to hold on to that. That's kind of our mantra. If I can just hold on to this, then I've got one up. But God says, I'm your heavenly father. I'm totally different. And that's the parent that we want, isn't it? That, isn't that the head of the family that we want in our life? Is, is God in that image? Well, let me tell you a story about uh, a boy named Ronnie. Um, Ronnie was like a lot of kids that, we, that we've come to know through the years. Um, Ronnie was, um, was a child who, who was born and his dad was never in his life. Uh, Ronnie's mom began to, to take care of him. When Ronnie was just a little, bit, little baby, his mother got whacked out on cocaine and she threw him against the wall. And she injured him as a, as a young child. And the authorities came in and they said, this just isn't going to work. We're going to protect the child. They took Ronnie out of the home. And then Ronnie kind of bounced around a little bit into the uh, foster care system. But one thing that they got to see in Ronnie was that, that Ronnie began to emulate the family from which he came. Ronnie was angry. Ronnie was trouble. In fact, when he got into school, Ronnie figured it out. The way that I get ahead in school is not to be good. But if I'm bad, then I get more attention. Those of you who are teachers, you know what I mean? Those of you who are parents, you know what I mean? That our children sometimes take that attitude that if I do against or if I'm, if I'm bad, then I'll get more attention. And finally, the time had come in Ronnie's life when he was in fifth grade. Now, Ronnie in fifth grade, Ronnie was about four years, Ronnie was in fifth grade, he should have been like in eighth or ninth grade. So Ronnie's a big kid, he's fully developing. So the one thing that the kids loved about Ronnie was when, when it came time to pick teams, Ronnie was on their team. Because Ronnie was big, Ronnie was powerful. And that was the one thing that they really liked about him, but that was it. So Ronnie was in his fifth grade class, and one day his teacher said, I've had enough. He was acting up like he always did. And, you know, so, so she takes him to the office and she says these words to the principal. She says, Principal Brown, she says, I've had enough of this kid. Just keep him out of my class. I never want to see him again. Now, listen, if you're a teacher, you, you know what that's like. 
You have those conversations, don't you? Because sometimes kids are just at a point where, where you can't pour into the rest of the kids. It's just constantly, you know, all you're hearing back from them is, oh, teacher, you're extra, or you're this, or you're that. And, and so the principal, so Principal Brown took Ronnie and walked him back to his office and he sat him down. He said, Ronnie, he said, let me, let me just ask you something. Do you know that you're loved? And Ronnie's eyes got big. Ah, Principal Brown, what are you talking about? He says, Ronnie, not only do I love you, but God loves you. Now listen, you know, public schools, this principal's taking a risk. And the principal opened the top drawer of his desk and he pulls out a Bible. And he says, Ronnie, let me, let me read you some stories about God because God loves you. And he began to read some stories to Ronnie, began to introduce him, and, and, and in a couple of weeks in, in meeting with this kid off and on, Ronnie finally gave his life to Christ. And Ronnie began to turn his life around. Because he said, I want a father like that. I want someone in my life like that. I want to be loved just like that. You look at Ronnie's life, it wasn't lovable. He wasn't an easy person to love, but God loves Ronnie. So Ronnie then gets on the expedited schedule. He turns his life around. He goes to an ROTC program at his school, and he begins to do well, and he's turned his life around. Why? Because somebody said, God loves you. Somebody was willing to invest that last bit into Ronnie's life and to make a difference. Ronnie's life was changed. Let me tell you, ultimately, that Ronnie could be your story. Ronnie could be mine. And the thing that we need to understand is, is that, that, that our lives are not perfect, are they? We, we, we go rogue on things. Some of us, we push the boundaries. We're right up to the guardrails on the difference between right and wrong. And we convince ourselves, as long as I don't step over, I'm okay. But yet, we're really on the edge, and we're living life on the edge, and we're pushing those boundaries. God calls you back. And if you're somebody who's living life like that right now, God's calling you back. And you need to hear that, that God is calling you by name, the person that he knows and loves, to come back and to be a part of his plan for your life. The scriptures are, are filled with many powerful images of, of, of what I've just described to you. <clears throat> for me, um, I go to Luke chapter 15. Go back later today. There's three stories in Luke 15. I want to talk about two this morning. And these are just two stories out of many in the scriptures that, that talk about the pursuing love of God. The first one is, talks about a shepherd who has a bunch of sheep. In fact, it says that, that he, has, he has 99, he has 100 sheep. And there's that one sheep that just, just wanders off. If you've ever been around sheep, you know. They just, I mean, they're bad. They just, they're, you know, you didn't catch that. Okay. They, they, uh, they just wander off. And it says that the shepherd, somebody just got it. That's good. The shepherd, it says, was willing to leave the 99 to go find the one. The pursuit of the one. The second story talks about a woman that has a coin and she loses it. Now listen, this is at the Martin house, this is like losing the remote, okay? She turns the whole house upside down and she's looking everywhere for this lost coin because it's a treasure to her. It has meaning, it has value, it has importance. It's the difference between her being able to eat or not eat per se. 
and she turns up her whole house, and at the end of the day, she finds this coin. And in both of those stories, the shepherd and, and the woman with the coin, it says that when that which was lost is found, not only are the people happy, but it says, heaven rejoices. And they all can see about the power of God. And this is what's really important for us is, as a church, <coughs> it's our values. And the world, the world needs to know what our values are. Our community needs to know what our values are. Our community needs to know what we stand for. They need to know that, that as a person of God that you choose to love. Why do you choose to love? Because Jesus chose to love you. And that's why you choose to love. They need to know that, that, um, that, that they can come be a part of our fellowship because daily you and I are striving to be like Jesus. We want to be authentic. We want to live a life full of the fruit of the Spirit, not of the flesh. We want people to know that we're generous, not that we just give money to causes and things that happen, but that we're generous because generosity is a matter of the heart. And when God gave Jesus his son for the sacrifice of our sins, it showed the heart of God. So giving comes from the heart. We want them to know that this is a place where they can find belonging, they can find togetherness. You're here today because at some point in the life of, of you as a human being, somebody said to you, you belong here. Somebody said, come be together with us. They didn't know you, they didn't know about you, they just said, listen, we're commanded and called to do this, and we don't do it begrudgingly. We do it because of its importance, because this is who we are and what God calls us to do. Paul puts it this way. Paul says, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision, your, fate, your sinful nature, <coughs> God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. Did you hear that? God doesn't just forgive some people. He doesn't just forgive Joe or, or Kathy or, or, or Paul or Jane. He forgives all our sins. So we're all a part of that family. It says that, that God forgives us our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away. God said... It's no longer about all these rules and regulations. It's about a cross. And the cross says it all. That when he hung from the cross in the flesh is Jesus Christ, God said, this is the depth and the length that I'm willing to go to show you the love that I have. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, Paul says, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Listen to me, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter, you know, you know, what you've done. So when we think about the things that we've done, it's not like leaving cookies in the oven too long and they get, you know, they, they burn and then you're, you're upset because you don't have cookies for the day. I'm talking about the kinds of things that you and I do that when we think about it, we just want to slink back into the darkness. No matter what you've done, those things that make you want to slink back into the darkness. But what we learn about this is that we find out whatever it is that makes you feel unworthy, 
If you're the kid that feels like I never get selected, if you feel like the God train has left me and that, that I'm just not going anywhere because nobody cares, nobody wants, nobody even pays attention to me, if that's you, or that, that you're not good enough. Maybe, maybe you were raised in a household where you were told you weren't good enough. Or maybe you didn't have a mom and a dad. Maybe you were in a, a, a fractured home and, and somehow somebody said, well, because you don't have two parents, you're not good enough. Let me tell you, God's bigger than that. And God is the one who moves in our lives. Your heavenly father will not rest until you are found. You until you are found, your heavenly Father will not rest. And God is willing to pursue you to the distance that it takes so that you know about what his love is. He knows you. He knows everything that there is about you. And that's the good news. And that's why when we think about, you know, what is it that culminates all of those value statements, what is it that we're really trying to say here it is. We do whatever it takes to reach people for Jesus. And that's the heart that you and I need to continue. Sometimes we say, well, I've done my part. I'm a certain age. It's time for somebody else to do this. Or I've been doing that all my life. I need a rest. No, 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 no. I don't read anything in the scriptures where it says, never, ever stop telling people about the love of Jesus. Do whatever it takes, not unethical, do whatever it takes about who you are, your time, your talent, your service, your treasures, whatever it is, to reach people for Jesus. That right there is who we are as a church. That's who we will continue to be. And that is the defining mark of St. Paul, United Methodist Church.